whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you're producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here. We have Aaron Luo, who is the co-founder and CEO of Mercado Famous. And you may not have heard of Mercado Famous, but... Uh, Aaron is a serial entrepreneur. He also is a co-founder of another brand that you may have heard of, not in the food uh, industry, but it's called Kara. You can't forget that name for sure. Actually, it's called Kara. Uh, so it's it's uh, a little bit different, but uh, I'll definitely remember it as well since I have had some people who have called me uh, my pronunciation of my name, Kara, over the years. Uh, but Again, Aaron is a serial entrepreneur. He grew up in Spain and remembering fond memories of the tapas hours that he and his co-founder thoroughly enjoyed over the years uh, and every trip that he made back to Spain. He thought, why the heck isn't somebody doing 
charcuterie and bringing it to the market in the U.S. where he lives. So he decided, knowing everything that he knows about supply chain, that he would bring it to the U.S. and create really the narrative around uh, bringing the category in general to be better. So that's what great entrepreneurs do. And so I'm so excited to see Aaron here today and speak with him about his journey thus far. So welcome, Aaron. Thank you, Kara. Super excited to be here. Um, I know we're going to be uh Peeling the onion quite a bit on a number of different topics, so uh, really looking forward to uh, to this conversation. Definitely. So, uh, so before we get going, I'd love to hear a little bit. How would you describe Mercado Famous, and why did you decide to actually build this company? Yeah, great question. I think you know, be, be, before jumping into the specific product itself, I think the goal is to introduce Spain to the world. I guess that's the best way to describe it. Starting with the U.S., but of course we have, you know, bigger ambitions to to take it global and and so on and so forth. But yeah, I mean, you know, as you said before, I'm Chinese in terms of my nationality, but um, grew up in Madrid. Uh, my co-founder Carmen, she actually was born and raised in Valencia, which is a coastal city um, east of Spain. And you know, charcuterie is something that's very very typical Spanish. Um, for those of you who have been in Spain. Probably as soon as you get off the the, the 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 plane in the airport, you see legs of hummel hanging in the bars, you know, charcuterie everywhere, tapas everywhere. And that's something we just kind of grow up with. And we just kind of missed that in the States and could never find that. So to answer your question, as far as like what we're trying to do with Mercado, A, is to bring a little bit of that Spanish lifestyle that we loved and cherished so much growing up, but also just to introduce the world um, to Spain through food. And 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 hamon or charcuterie, it's something that we're starting with, uh, just being that uh, kind of our hero product. Um, you know, when we, we then looked at the charcuterie space a little bit more in deep, um, a little bit deeper, and I'm sure we're going to talk more about that. We also felt that the overall industry was a little bit stale. Uh, you know, again, you know, I'm not going to mention any names or, or brands, but everything just felt very heritage um, and focused more on the product than the actual lifestyle that the product is trying to um, impose to a certain extent. So, you know, our goal is to sure always lead with product just because at the end of the day, that's what really customers is buying, but really convey the story about Spain, the Spanish lifestyle and the sense of friendship and family and the togetherness. So, that's a little bit of, uh, I know it's a, a long way of answering the question, but that that was the, um, you know, if we said what, what does success look like, that was uh, that was kind of the one one thing we were trying to accomplish. Well, I think it's fascinating too that you didn't come from this industry. Uh, you came from, you built another company called Cara, as I mentioned, that is in the leather goods and definitely have a long understanding of global supply chain, which as you and I were talking about, I think is a bit of a black box for many who want to jump in and grow an idea uh, in, in any industry with physical goods. And it's, uh, it's really hard, right? I, it's hard to figure Maybe. out. It's probably even harder since the pandemic. But I think your confidence in actually going into the food industry and recognizing that it really kind of boils down, especially when you're getting product from Spain, your ability to figure out the global supply chain is is so t- key. Can you talk a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, I, I always say, right? I think, you know, when I think about a product company, product is king or queen for sure. Um, but if you don't have, you know, a supply chain, and when I say supply chain, that encompasses the manufacturing side of things, you don't have a business, right? Mm-hmm. So that's something that we always feel very strongly about when we're thinking about a new venture, investing in other brands or starting new ventures of our own. We want to make sure that the supply chain is airtight and that the cost equation always makes sense. Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now? Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie smart, Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week too, like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices, snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part, each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's code GOLDEN50 at factormeals.com slash GOLDEN50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works, and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
no English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. So, you know, taking a step back before Mercado Famous, you know, just quickly talking about Kara for a minute. You know, the brand started in 2014. You know, what we're really known for in the market is high-end luxury handbags that's functional. That was kind of the thesis behind Kara. Um, you know, we come from, to your point, leather good manufacturing supply chain background. My family's been in that industry for three decades. And, you know, what we really felt was that the handbag space was really great when it comes to design, especially when we think about luxury handbags. But we feel that it can be a little bit more, um, we feel like it can be a little bit more functional. And of course, you know, we, along the way, we feel that prices need to be a little less than what, you know, what we were seeing in the luxury space. So, you know, we leveraged our supply chain background and my co-founders, the CFDA, awarded fashion designer, we commanded two and then brought, you know, really a collection of handbags that's functional, that's DTC to the customers, um, that really at the end of the day was producing a luxury handbag at a fraction of the luxury handbag prices that's more functional to the consumers. That was the thesis. Worked really well, I think, in the last seven plus years. Um, and and the idea for starting Mercado was to kind of taking the learnings there, right, from the luxury handbag brand that I just mentioned before and then give it to the Mercado Famous. Uh, started as a DTC brand, but then we started looking at wholesale distribution and so on and so forth. And, you know, when it comes to supply chain, the thing that we always think about is, first, you have to find a solid manufacturing partner. You know, whether it's a manufacturing or whether it's a pro producer. Mm -hmm. uh, in our case, when it comes to Mercado, is you know, a, a specific farm that we actually search for two plus years to make sure that we really can get behind the product. And then, of course, from there, you need to think about exporting, importing, and then, of course, ultimately distribution once the product lands in the States in terms of if you're going to do e-com, how you're going to pick and pack and get it to the customer at the end of the day. If you're going to do wholesale distribution, how you're going to actually, you know, distribute the product in the batch. Um, like I said, I think a lot of learnings along the way. We're still, I think, figuring that out. To your point, I don't come from the industry. So... A little bit nerve-wracking, I think, in the early days, especially in the food industry. But I think it really comes down to finding the right partner um, that can help us, you know, on the production side of things. And then, of course, you know, finding the right partner on the supply chain and shipping and transportation. Um, the last thing I would say, it's also just finding the right team. You know, I think first five employees, it's critical, I think, to help you, you know, a, gaining expertise quickly, but also scaling from there. So a lot of learnings there as well. But I think finding the right team in the early days is also critical. So you grew up in Spain. And as you yep. mentioned, your family it comes from uh, years of supply chain. And, and uh, so you were kind of wrapped around uh, that industry for many, many years. But you actually went into the banking industry, right? Prior to actually starting your own 
company. Yeah, corporate finance. So corporate finance. So you know, I've always been fascinated by Fortune 500 companies ever since. You know, my my, my journey is a little bit. You know, I grew up in Spain and then came to the States for college and business school. And was always fascinated by Fortune 500, mainly because it was mind-boggling to me how well-functioned these organizations can be. Hmm. So for the first 12 years of my career, I spent, you know, with General Electric, with GE, uh, in a number of different divisions, um, operations, then technology, and also finance. And really taught me about the rigor in how to operate businesses, you know, in terms of how you think about planning, how you think about unit economics, how you think about growth, how you think about scale. And that was fascinating to me. And I knew that if eventually if I was going to leave, right, and start leading my own brands and businesses and investing in others, like I need to learn how to read the PL. I need to, you know, learn how to understand an income statement, a balance sheet. Um, I need to evaluate risk. You know, I need to Basically, understand what are the levers within the company from a financial standpoint, and that was the that was a key thing that you know attracted me um, to join the conglomerate like a GE in the early days. Of course, you know GE also taught me about the power of people. Um, you know, you probably know that Jack from the Jack Welch's day, right? It's the you know it's it was a leadership factory, right? So, mm-hmm. how do you grow your bench? How do you grow people? How do you challenge people? How do you you know push them and raise them along the way. So a lot of learnings there from the early days. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, we, I didn't get into the, the entrepreneurship side of things right away. I wanted to really get a foundation down from the operations and finance standpoint, which in hindsight, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, a lot of the colleagues that I I, I was friends with were still friends today and, and I still hit them up whenever I have questions. Um, so it was it was a fantastic experience. That's awesome. So what was the moment when you actually decided to become an entrepreneur then? Do you remember? I do. I do. It was actually a funny story, Kara. Um, so I think, and, and I don't know if I ever told this anyone, never less on the podcast, but in all honesty, I think I left, um, not because I felt like I was ready. You never know you're ready or not, right? Mm-hmm. Like I said, I, I went in there for the learning, but the question is always like, when are you ready? And again, I, I'm somewhat embarrassed for kind of acknowledging this, but but I think it was because I got passed by a, by a promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was, you know, it was, <laughs> it was, uh, it, you know, again, I I, I love I love GE for many many reasons, but I think the instance where I realized that I think I I I can do this. And it wasn't because of an idea, you know, mm-hmm. matter of fact, actually the idea of Kara came after I left and I started thinking really through, you know, what I need to build, what I want to build, what's the white space in the space that I want to be in and so on and so forth. Um, the moment that really triggered and gave me the actual encouragement was that I think I just wasn't good enough for the role that I was going for. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, um, I'm I'm sure there was a lot of different reasons why, but that was the uh, that was the trigger. I I I don't think I ever told anyone this or or uh, never listened to podcast, but that was the uh, that was the moment. That's so interesting. And was it and and why handbags? Like what what was it about handbags that sort of uh, you know you thought that this would be your first venture? Yeah, 
you know, it's it's interesting. So a couple of reasons. One, my co-founder, Carmen, she is a CFDA awarded fashion designer. Um, so, and specifically always in the handbag space. So, you know, when, when her and I connected, um, and our families actually knew each other from Spain, which is actually an interesting story. We later found out that our grandfathers and well, her grandmother and my grandfather actually did business together in Spain when Spain had maybe like 10 Chinese people. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was fake. Um, but she's always been, you know, in the handbag space, um, as a designer. And then for me, because my family has been in the supply chain, you know, global supply chain manufacturing for handbag brands for the last three decades. It was kind of a natural place for us to be in, in terms of diving in. So that was reason number one. I think reason number two was primarily also we felt that that space or the category needed a little bit of, you know, perhaps a fresh of air. I hate the word disruption. I think I mentioned this before. I think it's overused in the startup space. But, you know, like I said before, we felt that a lot of that luxury handbags are really well made, really well designed. But a, a little bit overpriced, but also not as functional as it should be. So mm-hmm. you know, we started the brand initially really with two bags. You know, it was one tiny collection with two bags. Um, you know, still one of our best sellers is our studio bag. It's one of the first bags that allowed the customer to wear it in the multiple different modes. So you can wear it as a backpack, as a crossbody, or as a satchel. Um, so the idea was that the bag can transition with you throughout the day. And again, this was pre-COVID. You know, we felt that there was a huge trend of customers going, we call from gym, from office to gym versus office to, you know, to drinks. Um, so, you know, a lot of customers are becoming much more active. It was also the high of the athleisure movement. I'm sure you'll remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so we we tested the market with two, pro, two bags. It, it hit it out right away and, um, you know, here we go, you know, 100 plus skews, you know, seven years later, I think, you know, we proved that, that the thesis was right, that the customers are looking for something that is value driven, but also very uh, functional and, and very well made from, you know, highly skilled, um, you know, technicians or, or craftsmen in, in, in some world top uh, luxury factories. So when you started Cara, that was primarily direct to consumer, uh, D2C, yes. right? Yes. And then now you're in all kinds of stores, uh, as yes. you mentioned. Uh, do you think that that will be the same model for Mercado Famous? Um, yeah. That it'll primarily be D2C initially, uh, and then in stores, or where do you think? Uh, do you think it, it'll be different because it's a food product, or where where yeah. is it kind of headed? Tough question, really tough question. So when we started the brand for Mercado Famous, that was the kind of the thesis, right? Is that I'm going to prove that we can do this, right? We can sell a food product like charcuterie in this case through a DTC model. Um, you know, the AOV is healthy enough that we think that it can actually withhold, you know, all the expenses when it comes to performing advertising or a few other forms of advertising, plus cost of goods sold and a few other things. So we felt very comfortable that that was, that was the case. Reality is that it actually is proving that it's a lot more difficult than what we initially thought um, for a number of different reasons. I think, you know, A, I would argue that consumers need a little bit more education in terms of purchasing this kind of product through DTC e-commerce. Mm-hmm. So, right, because you think about like, you know, where you're actually making those purchases. Are you really 
going online and making those purchases? Are you buying them from a grocery store or your local store? Um, so that's proven to be a little bit challenging. Nevertheless, I think we're seeing some really healthy KPIs that's giving us a lot of encouragement that it's definitely a platform that should be explored. But to your point, we start seeing a lot more inbound buzz or inbound requests from the wholesale standpoint um, in terms of requesting us to partner with them. And I think we've talked about this before. I think in our initial goal wasn't to, I mean, eventually we want to scale, of course, but I think as we started thinking about distribution or wholesale and, and, and larger partnerships, our initial goal actually for now is to look for those local stores that might not have 30,000 stores nationwide, but maybe even have one or two, but are really tastemakers, right? That are really kind of that influencers themselves in the local market, whether it's in San Francisco, LA, New York, Chicago, and so on and so forth. And we start seeing a lot of great results by partnering with those stores. Um, a, of course, you know, we start seeing volume picking up, but also we start seeing that in there, we call it a halo effect, but a lot of the customers in the surrounding zip codes are starting actually coming to us from a DTC standpoint, which is kind of interesting. Um, we've seen something like that happening on the Kara side, on the fashion side, when we start working with a new store, we see the halo effect of actually customers in the surrounding zip code coming to us directly versus going through the store. Not all the time, but we start seeing a pickup of the customers or movements from that zip code. And we start seeing something similar with uh, with Mercado as well. So, you know, ultimately the brand, yes, our goal is to have nationwide distribution with large department stores and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, as we start opening ourselves up a little bit more for wholesale, I think that's the uh, immediate next step is to find those tastemakers in specific markets within the U.S. Yeah, it'll be interesting. One of the podcasts that we had on, uh, I think it was a few weeks ago, was Sambazon. Are you familiar with that yep. product? Heard of, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's Acai. They basically were the first yep. to bring Acai into the country. And uh, anyway, you should... Ryan Black is great, um, and you should definitely listen to that because there's a lot of similarities. And ultimately, I mean, he is the acai that most of the uh, the stores today use um, for the acai bowls. Um, so he also has a brand, but the majority of his business is actually in, in food service and sort of supplying, um, which is fascinating. But there's something there around a model and that's the goal for sure, right? I mean, in the, when I think about wholesale distribution, we think about restaurants, we think about chefs, we think about, you know, casinos, we think about, you know, like larger, you know, even cruises and so on and so forth. There's a lot of different platforms and channels we can tap into. You know, once again, when it comes to Spanish charcuterie, we just feel that for now, at least, um, the market is, I mean, there are all the players, don't get me wrong. You know, I don't want to claim like, oh, we're the first ones or we're the few, but I, we just felt that they're going about the branding in a very different way. The product is, you know, I, again, you know, I think this is very subjective. I think we're going about our product slightly different. Instead of going with a mass industrialized producer, you know, we're actually working very closely with, you know, a farm that has 100 plus year old heritage with a 100 plus year old recipe that uses pig uh, free roam that can actually trace back the DNA from, you know, even the forefathers of, you know, like many, many generations of pigs. So there's a lot of things about our supply chain that we're actually really proud of that I think distinct, make, make make us very different than, than other players in the market. 
to your point, the idea is that, you know, we, we're looking at DTC first, then start looking at wholesale partners, but eventually there's other, you know, services and, and platforms that we're going to tap into. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so being an entrepreneur is definitely brutal. Uh, you you jumped in, you were doing a whole different career. Uh, what is sort of kind of the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think, you, you know, <laughs> there's a lot. Edgar, you probably know this totally. well. Yeah. You know, I think there, there's a couple of things. There's the mental side of things, right? That, that really kind of you need to kind of remind yourself and keep yourself going. And, and there's the financial and the few other things that comes, comes along the way. So I'm going to start with the mental side of things. I think, you know, believing in yourself. I, I think, you know, 50% of the battle is mental. You, you know, it's, it's, I always say to others that I coach or brands that we invest or even just ourselves is that you have to believe that you can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm an athlete myself. You know, I, 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 I fence for many, many years. I still compete in the U.S. I start coaching my kids now to fence. And, you know, in sports, you know, it, it really, you know, even more than 50%. But if you don't believe in your head that you can actually win, you already lost the battle. Mm-hmm. So I think entrepreneurship is very, very similar. Um, so I think that's this, that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is, you know, you probably hear this from other entrepreneurs too, is um, don't take no. And I know it's easy. And, and I got one guy asking me one time actually, it's like, yeah, but how many no's can you really take before you really throw in the towel, right? It's like, is it one no, it's two no. And I tell them, I said, look, for me, when people tell me no, I never hear the word no. I hear the word maybe, mm-hmm. right? No to me is always a maybe. I just haven't found the right way to actually tell you the story or find the right angle. So, you know, being relentless and having the grit to to not give up and, and always just go after what you believe, I think that's probably the... The hardest thing that I have to remind myself not, not to throw in the towel, um, you know, I think being financially um, responsible is it's extremely important. Um, just because I think you know, a you have to understand your economics going into a venture. If you don't, don't even start. Um, and then have the discipline. You know, I think we all get caught up in our own BS a little bit, right, from time to time. And you know, often we say, "Hey." I have this idea. I just need a little bit more time. Let me just dump in a little bit more money or let me just find more in, one more investor or let me just take that another loan that I think, I think this is it. You know, like a few more, give me a few more months, one more quarter and I can make it happen. And, and I think sometimes you just have to have the discipline to say, you know, hey, this is not going well. How do I actually find other ways? Doesn't mean you have to give up, but I think once you set some kind of discipline for yourself as far as like what's the limit, you can be very creative in terms of finding funds or finding alternative ways to basically win without having to actually go the extra mile for finding the money. Because it's always, at the end of the day, it's like, oh, let's chase more money, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what we found ourselves is that, you know, there's a lot of creative ways that you can actually find and get things done without actually investing. Um, so, I mean, those are the three things that I would say that... Um, that actually helped me quite a bit and and the toughest. Look, it's a very lonely journey, you know, Kara. I think, it, you know, often you see yourself in, in, in the dark and kind of not really knowing what's the end. I think the last thing I'll probably say is having the co-founder that you can cry with, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's often very helpful. You, you know, I think 
you know, I give a lot of props to a single co-founder, a single co-founding entities, just because it's very tough. It's very mm-hmm. tough because you, you know, you have to do everything. Of course, hiring, it's very important, like I mentioned before. But, you know, I think if you can, especially for those out there listening who are aspiring entrepreneurs and looking to start a new venture, I think finding the right, you know, person that can complement your skills. I always say Carmen's my better half in many, many ways. Um, it's very, very important. So I think those are some of the few things that I learned along along the way at the high level, you know, in terms of how I think about framework of of an entrepreneur. Well, and I think just to add on to that, it sounds like you guys have really different skill sets too, you and Carmen. Very. Is that right? Yeah. But yep, so very. I think that that is also a really important piece when people are looking for co-founders. I've met many over the years, like two people that met at business school and they're going to start yep. this company together. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. Like, are you guys too much alike? Right. And you really yep. have to kind of ask yourself that question, get somebody who really kind of, you got to find the, the yang and your ying, I guess, is, you know, right. It's, it should it, be that balance. It's very important because, you know, look, you probably spend more time with your co-founder than any family members. That's the reality of it, especially as an entrepreneur, right? It, is that, it, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, I, I tell my wife and kids, you know, during the week, I spend way much more time with my team and my co-founder than, than anybody else. Um, and, and you have to set ground rules, right? It, is that, you know, when I think about the way Carmen and I work, so she's a lot more creative than I am, actually 100% more creative than I am, right? I mean, she is a creative. She's the creative director for the brand, both for Kara and also for Mercado. Um, she also leads production, supply chain, a lot of different aspects of that. And then I help with supply chain production, but mainly lead all the operational things on the commercial side of things. Of course, HR, IT. And, and what's interesting, I think having the co-founder, it's very, very important to set the ground rules as far as who is the decision mm-hmm. maker. As I think downfall of a lot of teams I've seen, you know, whether it's two person or three person or four person co-founding it. There's too many chefs in the kitchen and everybody has a perspective and everybody has an opinion. And then, you know, of course, especially in public or in the team setting, if one person has an opinion, but then his or her opinion don't take into account, it's almost like you're not giving face, right? It's like, well, I'm a co-founder. I, I you know, like, you, you know what totally. I mean? Like it's, so I think for us, it, it's, it's one of those things where we say, Hey, look, we all kind of have opinions. I think we're entitled to, but at the end of the day, if somebody owns that role, whatever she says or I say goes to church, you know, in terms of that's the decision maker at the end of the day. So I think that worked really well for the last seven years, you know, surprisingly, and Carmen probably will tell you otherwise, in my mind, we hardly ever fight, uh, which is kind of surprising when they talk about other co-founders. And uh, I, I think that's because we set a ground rule. No, I think that's really, really smart. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. This has been amazing and uh, best of luck to you guys. And I know we're going to see a lot more of you, but thank you so much for sharing all about your brand and the journey and uh, just sharing a lot of your wisdom and advice has been super valuable. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen 
or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey, including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023 and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Thanks for listening.